You're listening to the What We Were podcast. This podcast is devoted to looking at important events and issues that affect us from around the world and that cry out for a new perspective that breaks the binary we often find ourselves trapped in. Our goal in doing so is to arrive just a few steps closer to what might be called the truth. Welcome. So today might just be the first in a series of episodes where we look at a major issue affecting Americans that's currently being overlooked in favor of sexier headline-grabbing issues, as we've talked about before. I'm not omniscient about all the issues Americans are dealing with, so I'm hoping that listeners will hear something that brings to mind other issues that are widespread and significant, yet they're getting overlooked. And I hope you'll send us an email explaining the issue and why you think it's so important, yet being overlooked, and, and we may end up covering it. So we've talked previously about how much of our political bandwidth in America is taken up by irresolvable debates and issues like gun control, abortion, and tax rates. Again, it's not that those aren't legitimate, serious issues, but we've been talking about them for several decades now, and neither side has moved more than an inch or two in either direction. So it might be a good time to press pause on those issues and just look around the room a bit at what else needs fixing in our country. So today we're going to be talking about hacking. And when I say hacking, I'm using the broadest possible application of that word. It includes the following. Social media hacking, or I've heard it called social engineering. Whether it be someone spoofing your social media account by creating a duplicate that looks just like yours by using your own pictures and personal details, or actually obtaining access to your own account. There's also text messages phone calls and emails pretending to be someone else in order to get sensitive information from you. People pretending to be from government social services, law enforcement agencies, insurance companies. I think most of these are, you know, they're trying to get your social security number or maybe get you to divulge security questions that might be used to reset your bank or email passwords. Some of them just want access to everything that's on your computer. Whatever the goal, this type of crime is now ubiquitous in America. And in a minute, I'm going to share a real-life example of the kind of hacking that I'm talking about that's become so commonplace, and it'll sound familiar. But short of actual hacking, let's just let's say you're uh, savvy as can be, and no one can ever fool you into clicking that link or you know falling for that scheme you are unhackable i want you to consider what's being taken from you just by getting harassed daily by strangers looking to take your money many of them by the way operating from foreign countries 
You can tell by their English skills if you ever read what they write or their accents if you ever hear them speak. But I want you to consider the energy loss, the loss of focus, the momentary spikes of cortisol that you get each time someone just attempts to trick you and take your money. And consider the cumulative effect of that over the course of a year or many years. So first, I want to just take us on a trip down memory lane just for a minute or two. Back to February of 2003. George W. Bush is president and he's at a signing ceremony for a pretty historic and bipartisan bill known as the Do Not Call Implementation Act. Now that act passed unanimously in the Senate uh, and it passed 418 to 7 in the House. And it basically gave Americans the ability to put their phone number on a federal do not call registry. At the signing ceremony, President Bush said, when Americans are sitting down for dinner or a parent is reading to his or her child, the last thing they need is a call from a stranger with a sales pitch. Within two years, 50 million Americans added their numbers to that registry. It was a huge success initially. And it felt like a huge relief for families whose phones were ringing off the hook. Now, these weren't hackers that were harassing Americans by calling their home phones at dinner time. They were just salespeople, mostly trying to sell legitimate products. And yet, Congress got together, overcame their differences, and passed sweeping legislation to combat an annoyance. That's it. In 2003, Americans had an expectation that they should be able to go about their days in peace without annoyances from salespeople calling them at home after work. Now, fast forward to today, and not only do you have no choice but to be harassed endlessly, not on your home phone, by the way, but on your cellular phone. And not to sell you something, but to steal from you. You have no choice in that. That's just the way it is. That's what you wake up into every day as an American. And everyone's got a little bit different experience of this than, than everyone else. I mean, everyone's got their own unique experience with this. I talk to some people who get calls and text messages on their cell phones every single day, multiple times a day. But for the majority of people, they're getting harassed almost daily. So that's where we're at today. Now, for a variety of reasons, we don't spend as much time answering phone calls today. Many people will prefer text messages, and the criminal networks have adapted to that. Now, text messages are an intimate form of communication. So we pay attention to text messages. It's one of the last intimate forms of communication we have. Even text messages from unknown numbers seem worthy of at least reading because it's perceived as being a very personal way of communicating. There's a reason why most business or legal communications take place via you know, physical letters, 
emails or, or, or phone calls. Imagine the IRS or your local HOA sending you a text message. You'd probably feel violated. And you should. You know, for the most part, we reserve text messages for the people closest to us. The people we know and interact with in real life on a regular basis. It's a form of communication that's direct, transparent, and private, or it used to be. In text messages, there's no there's no blind carbon copy in a text message. And giving out someone's number without their permission is still considered to be a faux pas. Because a person's phone number represents a direct access to that person. And so we're careful with that. But imagine that, you know, with that phone number today, with a person's cell phone number, you have the ability to activate an audible sound and or vibration on a device that is practically attached to another human being at any time you want. Now, that's a power that should probably be limited to, I don't know, your closest 25 people in your life. And yet, if you're like a lot of Americans, most Americans, your number might as well be listed in the criminal phone book. It might as well be written on bathroom stalls across America. Because your number has been sold over and over to the highest bidder. By corporations, by nonprofits, and probably by the government. So, here's that real-life example. It's from two Christmases ago. This is a real-life example about how this can look. And this story probably will sound familiar to you. This is actually from Christmas Eve 2021. It's a friend of a friend. We'll call her Jessica. Jessica's an ICU nurse. So, her life has more than enough stress already. Now, Jessica was scrolling through Instagram on Christmas Eve in 2021 and came across a self-recorded video that a friend had just posted. In the video, she sees her friend talking up a woman named Nikki who was a stocks and crypto investor. And this Nikki woman had helped her to earn some quick cash just before Christmas. Now, Nikki's Instagram handle is Nikki Woman. Her Instagram handle was included in the video post, but, you know, being rightfully suspicious, Jessica decided to reach out to her friend first for further confirmation and just to check to make sure that she wasn't, you know, being scammed. But she reached out to her friend via Instagram direct message. Unfortunately, Jessica's friend was no longer in control of her Instagram account. Nikki was fielding those messages from Jessica. And in the messages that followed, Nikki, pretending to be Jessica's friend, explained, you know, how the scheme worked and encouraged her to reach out to Nikki directly, which Jessica did. So Jessica ended up sending $800 to this Nikki woman via a Zelle payment. And then she was asked to help promote Nikki's business via, you know, a link that was sent to her phone. Now, somehow, by clicking that link, it gave this Nikki person control of Jessica's Instagram account. 
and Jessica was locked out. And she immediately realized she made a terrible mistake. So before long, Jessica's Instagram account was posting stories with self-recorded videos, video testimonials from strangers, talking about Nikki's amazing investment returns and encouraging people to contact Nikki. And according to Jessica, two of her followers fell for it. And one of them lost $8,000 as a result. Now, it took Jessica a full week to regain access to her Instagram account. She claims that she submitted an Instagram help form like dozens of times, requesting help and not getting any help for a full week. By the end of it, this hacker named Nikki posted a private lewd video that Jessica had sent to her boyfriend on Jessica's account for all of her followers to see. Now, Nikki has been doing this scam for years now, as far as I can tell. I used to take screenshots of her Instagram stories featuring the people who had self-recorded video testimonials for her because I thought I had a great story on my hands and I thought that the media or Instagram couldn't ignore it. I thought even if I just published it on, you know, blog as a blog on like Medium, Instagram would eventually discover it, hear about the story, and they'd be so embarrassed that, you know, they'd, they'd take some kind of action, even just to delete Nikki's Instagram account and ban her from the platform. But they didn't. And they still haven't. Despite all the reports in the long list of American victims of this woman, this Nikki person, whatever their name is. So I stopped keeping track after about 45 screenshots. And each one of those showed a different unsuspecting victim of Nikki's criminal scheme. These are screenshots of the victims of her crimes. And most of them are younger. They look to be maybe 25 or 30 years old on average. One of them is a woman who looks to be nearing retirement age. It's impossible to know how much money they lost. How many of them have student loan or credit card debt? How many of them are struggling to make rent? How many of them are struggling to find a job or keep up with inflation? How much of that older woman's retirement savings was stolen from her? Does she have any way of getting it back? Nikki is still doing this. This Nikki person is still doing this. This is... This is over two years later. I've written about it online. It's out there. The same account that hacked Jessica's account is still active on Instagram. Still doing the same thing. Still victimizing people. You can look her up. I'll post uh, I'll post her handle in the, in the uh, podcast notes. So, you know, Jessica had a pretty bad outcome. You might say that's because she's gullible or, you know, she should know better and you know, that, that would never happen to you, right? Maybe. But I can pretty much guarantee that there's a big enough variety of schemes out there that at least one would be a perfect match for you to sneak past your defenses. Once every few months, I get an email that looks 
so genuine, I almost reflexively click on one of the links without giving it much thought before I realize it's a scam. And just by clicking that link, who knows what would happen? I'd lose control of my computer. Something would be installed on my computer that I don't want. Every other day, I, I get text messages from unknown numbers asking me mundane questions to try to trick me into conversing with someone who's pretending to be someone I know. How many people out there listening are getting text messages, emails, and phone calls from scammers daily? In other words, going about your daily life in America today, how often does someone attempt to mug you? And what is your recourse for these attempted muggings? What law enforcement agency is pursuing your mugger in order to get them off the street, so to speak? What does the police department say when you call to report an attempted mugging online? They'll hang up on you if they'll answer the phone at all. What about identity theft? Identity theft is something even more serious than having you know, your social media account hacked. But it seems to be just as futile to expect justice for that crime. It's so bad out there that the identity protection industry is worth $3.2 billion. You literally have to pay a private company a service fee for making sure that government documents, which you are required to have, your social security number, or the title to your home, that they don't get stolen and used against you. Private security. Because the government can't or won't do anything about it. So for something like $12 or $20 a month, you too can have private law enforcement policing the web for you to stop thieves from stealing your information. Because there's no police force to do it. And is this not a service that we should expect our government to provide? If our government... And the economy requires us to spend so much of our lives online. It follows that law enforcement should be policing the web to eliminate those threats or at least pursue the perpetrators. Does it not? Our politicians don't agree on much these days. They spend most of their time raising money for the next campaign. And they raise money for the next campaign by raising their media profile and they raise their media profile by, you know, being disagreeable jerks to their fellow politicians and half the country. But so long as they are there to improve the lives of Americans, why not some new legislation to combat cybercrime? Americans lost $7 billion to cybercrime in 2021, according to the FBI, $7 billion. I don't think there's anything about the issue of cybercrime that divides Americans along political lines. It's probably one of the few meaningful subjects that actually unites Americans. And if not the government, what about the private companies whose websites and applications allow this to happen and provide no recourse for victims or justice for the criminals on their platforms? Consumers would justifiably hold Walmart or 
Disneyland accountable. If people were being, you know, repeatedly mugged while in their store or at their resort, the companies would have to do something about it or they'd face at least media scrutiny or a boycott. Why doesn't Facebook or Instagram? Why doesn't Google? I guess the answer is the business model. I mean, social media is free. Google is free in the sense that, you know, it costs you no money. Plus, it's hard to boycott something that, you know, connects you to others and maybe your only way of connection to some people. You know, the parent company of Facebook and Instagram, Meta, reported revenue of $34 billion last quarter. $34 billion. How much of Meta's profits are being reinvested in hardening their platforms against scammers and thieves? Now, this is really just a just a coincidence. I was already in the process of, of doing this podcast, but uh, I had a family friend, uh, an elderly couple, call me today and uh, just ask me for help with a computer issue. Uh, their, you know, her husband's Facebook page basically been turned into a foreign language and he couldn't couldn't get out of it. And so I I went over there and uh, you know I investigated the issue and. Sure enough, yeah, it was his Facebook page was uh, you know overtaken by was, everything was in Vietnamese, and you know he had clearly been hacked somehow. I, I don't know how, and you know I spent thirty minutes on the computer there trying to f- try to fix that and just uh, give him access to his Facebook account again, and I, I I couldn't do it. I I failed, so it was beyond my capability. And I can usually figure those things out. But I don't know what's going to happen with that. I will continue to try to help them. Maybe they'll have to take their computer to the Geek Squad or something like that. But the point is that we live in a country. We live in a time when elderly people are expected to use technology that is really practically alien to the world that they were born into and have known for the vast majority of their lives. And we expect elderly people to navigate this and to protect themselves and just to figure it out. And as we see in the, in the, in the example I just told, those were young people getting hacked for the most part. These are not elderly people. These are not people who have no business being on a computer because they just can't handle it. These were young people. And so, elderly Americans, every day, elderly Americans who own cell phones, who are on their computers, many of them are on you know a fixed income with not much left, just enough to retire on. Some of them not enough to retire on. And just by using the internet, something that they they pretty much have to do to survive in our society today, they're almost guaranteed to be the victims of a cybercrime at some point. And how much money are they losing on average? And what are they supposed to do about it? What is our government doing about that? I was 
pretty pretty useless today. But what about the people who have nobody who can possibly help, who can who can even point them in the right direction, who can even tell them to go to the Geek Squad? What about those people? What about those elderly people who have nobody, who have to somehow navigate the World Wide Web in America where criminals run rampant and there is, there is no... There's no law enforcement, there's no protection, there's no recourse, there's no trials. You just take it. You got hacked. Sorry you lost your retirement money. That's 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 a weird society. I don't know that that's the society I want to live in or be a part of. So, what this comes down to is America is becoming the third world. We're just failing to notice it because it doesn't show up here in exactly the same way as it does in what we traditionally refer to as the third world. But it rhymes. In the third world, the police are unreliable. They're not always the ones in charge. They're often overwhelmed and underpaid. And they can be bought for the right amount of money. In the third world, those who can afford it pay for their own private security. Now we do too. May only be that way in the digital realm now, but there's a good chance that that spreads to the physical realm soon enough. In the third world, corporations have no incentive to treat you with dignity and respect. It's harder to return products that you purchase in third world countries or be compensated when a product or service is substandard. In third world countries, corporations are either so big or so intertwined with the government that they don't have to compete for your money because you don't have any other options and they don't need your loyalty. What happens in the third world as we know it may not happen in exactly the same way here in America yet. And and why should it happen exactly the same way? But if you've ever lived in or even traveled through a third world country, and actually experience the ups and downs of life there, you know that the familiar feeling of basic insecurity there as a result of dysfunctional government or a broken society is creeping into American life too. That's all for today. Let's defy the odds makers. Make uh, 2024 a banner year. Be well.